Well, good morning. Open your Bibles up to James chapter 1. Next couple weeks, we're going to finish out chapter 1. We're going to work our way down to verse 25 today. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 25. Um, Let me say ahead of time, I've preached a few times already this weekend, and I'm struggling a little bit with my voice. And so if I go into a coughing fit, I actually got a cough drop in my mouth right now, and I I got my Altoids here and my water here, and I got cough drops in my pocket. So I've done, I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to try to stay calm, you know, so I don't get too squeaky and starting to cough and fit. But if he does, they'll mute me. I'll get over it and we'll move on, okay? So watching online, I'm sorry, you know, we're human and it happens. All right, stand with me. We're going to read all the way down to verse 27. And the reason I'm going to read verses 19 to 27 is because this is a unit and oftentimes we read James 1, 26 and 27 and don't read it together uh, with the way it's supposed to be read. So let's read all of this. Beginning at verse 19, James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently into his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. Let's pray. And so God, as we sort of round the corner in James, as he leans in a little bit more, may we be willing to receive it as your blood-bought children. And those that are here, those that may be hearing, that have yet received it. Would you do that amazing work of the Holy Spirit and pull out that heart of stone, replace it with a heart of flesh that loves you and desires you. Would you rekindle a desire and longing for us today for you? We're here and we are hearing. Let us be hearers and doers today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be seated. So as, we, as I prayed, we're sort of rounding a little bit of a corner as James gets a little bit more intense. James is an intense brother. You can almost, as you read this, get a sense of his personality. We've been talking about radical faith. Faith is a part of, if you look at your notes at the top, faith has been a part of everything that we have talked about. But now he is wanting us to produce what we're going to call Radical spirituality, I have to say that very slow. Radical spirituality, what is that? We used to be a host home, we did 180 Weekend this weekend. 180 Weekend has been a part of our life for many years. 
Uh, we were always a host home, usually um, for like middle school boys. And it, was pretty, it was pretty neat to, to be able to be a host home and be able to see them sort of grow up. And, um, but I wasn't really part of the discussion. I would just sort of sit back in the corner of the room because I liked to hear. It's just no, no telling what their questions are they're going to ask, you know. And, uh, and, and, the, and the young boy that was, that was leading the group said, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And, uh, and one of those middle schoolers, you know, the hand goes up. And he said, now hold on now. I've, we've, I talk to people all the time, and when we go to school, we, they list Christianity as a religion with a lot of other different religions. Are you telling me that it's not a religion? It's just not a religion. It's a relationship. Well, why is it not a religion? You know, they just would not let it go, and they gradually, the boy began to paint himself into a corner. And eventually, he looked over at me. He said, uh, Mr. Little John, you got anything you can say? I said, Christianity is a religion that's based on a relationship. He's right, but he's wrong. And with that, there are some components to what we believe as Christians. When I say spirituality, I'm not saying that you can ascend to some kind of higher plane where you can float over your problems. And we're not, None of us are doing too good if that we can just all float over our problems. Or you can, you know get to some kind of secret knowledge that nobody else has. That's not what we're saying. Three components to Christian spirituality that James wants for his people, he wants it for us. Radical devotion to Christ, radical holiness in Christ, and radical obedience for the cause of Christ. When these three things are the central components of our Christian life, We are going to grow deeper. We're going to move from just a radical faith. It's going to produce a radical spirituality in our life. I I tried to define it this way. Radical spirituality can be defined as our single-minded desire to devote our lives to Jesus Christ, both in our attitude and actions, relying on God's Word alone for our motivation and our instruction, and committed to obedience no matter the cost. And it's really what it means to be a Christian. It's what I hope you're, you're getting from this. this. This word radical doesn't mean that there's non-radical Christians. It means that to be a Christian is a radical thing. Radical faith, main idea, actively receives and remembers God's word in order to respond in active obedience. This is one of James' important messages. And so, to be able to receive this morning... We must be willing to put on something and put off some things. So what I want you to see, I've tried to order the outline to make make this point. First, we need to put on the righteousness of God. Verses 19 and 20. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, we can tell by know this, my beloved brothers, James is starting a new topic. And, you know, James is one of those brothers, that's why he calls it wisdom literature. He can jump around all over the place. He doesn't feel any need to, to make everything cohesive necessarily, though he does if you pay attention. New topic. He starts talking about anger and and careful what you say. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. He just gives a, then now a litany of imperatives. 
these commands. Uh, every parent knows this, and probably the children can finish this. You got two ears and what? One mouth. You've all heard that when you're parents. And so what does that mean? Right? You need to listen more, and you need to be quiet. Now, we just got through 180. 180 was all about loving God and loving others. And so the context of this is 180. We didn't choose to marry these messages together. God did. We were going to have 180 earlier in COVID. We pushed it back. This being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, involves both what we talked about at 180, both the vertical reality of our relationship with God and the horizontal reality of our relationship with others. And oftentimes when we read this, it's when we're trying to get people to, you know, calm down and listen to what we're trying to say. But first, like we talked about at 180 this this weekend, that you first got to get this right with God. It is ultimately about God's message. We need to be quick to hear it and slow to start talking before we have a truly listened, heard, and applied what we have just read. Despite what some radio stations can. You just can't get your time in with God in three minutes and move on with your day. That's not the way it works. That's not what this passage is saying. You first got to Focus this in on the Lord. Be quick to hear God's word. And slow to just go off until you understand, until you have applied it. It's nothing that distracts us from what God wants us to be more than attitudes and actions of what he's talking about here. Resentment and anger and jealousy and vengefulness. And so he says, be slow to anger. This is inseparably connected with our mouths, isn't it? It's, it's impossible for us to completely control our anger, but a pretty good start is learning how to keep this thing shut, right? I've been in machine shop world my whole life and lived a little bit of a rough life before the Lord got a hold of me. I've got some places. I've been cut a few times. But I have never been wounded as much as people have done it with their mouths to me. And so have you. It's just what it's saying. Your relationship with God is important to get right because it will affect the way we use our mouths as a toxic results. You can say one thing to somebody and hurt your relationship for years. This teaching in James is bound up in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So let me just give you some help. If you're a parent or you hope to be a parent, your children do not have the right to raise their voice in anger to you. This is a problem. We can allow your children to pop off for you, especially brothers, husbands, to let them disrespect your wife. Do you know the epidemic that's going on in our day of abuse? Don't tolerate it. They can control their mouth or I will take off my belt. One or the other. Yeah, I said that. It's important. Raise your children to control their anger. I tell my children they know it. 
I am the peacemaker. And I will make peace when I get home. If you've caused turmoil in this house, right? Romans 12, 19. We, we looked at this at 182. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. By the way, that's a promise. When someone steps on you, we can forgive them and move on because God saw it. Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul, James, same message. You see, this is true. There is holy anger. I'm not going to get into that here. But it's hard for us to vindicate the righteous and not get into our own sin. Only God can exercise perfect vengeance and not get into sin because he's sinless. And so he tells us, leave it to me. Give it to me. Why? So that we may put on something. Do you see that? We need to put on. This is what it's going to produce. I want you to see this put off and put on principle in Scripture. James speaks, and this is really, really important to understand James. James speaks of things in a different way than Paul does. And we are very Pauline, whether we realize it or not. We read a lot of Paul's letters. And so when we hear righteousness, we think of that imputed righteousness that comes through faith. That's not what he's talking about here. When you hear righteousness, think about right living. Man's anger, is what he's saying, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires of his people. So put it off. Human anger is just a waste of the God-given energy. You ever seen angry, bitter people? They expend a lot of energy in their bitterness. They're usually tired and wore out people. Proverbs 29, 22 says, An angry man stirs up dissension, and an hot-tempered one commits many sins. Now, I pray you, you haven't experienced that here. I don't think we've had one. Um, but if you've been in church life long enough, have you ever been to a really bad church meeting? Right? I know the people with some gray hair on their head have. I see some young ones have. So that's root fruit, right? Root fruit. The fruit is anger. It's not the right root problem. What's the root? Their selfish desires. That's why they're so mad. Their expectations didn't get met. They got a desire. They got an agenda. They got all our friends to come to a, to a business meeting, though none of them ever come. Right? You don't tell me you ain't seen that happening. That, he's talking to Christians here. When our selfish desires and ambitions are not met, that is pride. That is at the root, and it bears fruit, the fruit of anger. And here's, that's what he's saying. There's no way if you don't put that off to put on right living, the righteousness of God. Uh, later, you can look at it, James 3.17 says, What we are putting on by right living is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. 
these things can't coexist. It's impossible for us to offer worship that God accepts and at the same time be carrying around an angry spirit with a brother or a sister, people that we are called to love. We do come and offer our worship, but does God accept it? That's ultimately what matters. So we got to put off. Notice our second point here. Radical spirituality receives the implanted word. He receives the implanted word. Therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The command is to accept the word planted in you. Say it again. The command is to accept the word that's planted in you. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says this, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it, not as the words of men, but also what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So how, here's the question, how is the word implanted? Well, turn with me to the Old Testament, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. The answer is how the word is implanted in you is by the Spirit. Let's look at it. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There was a promise in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel that there is coming a new covenant, one where God would do something through His Spirit, and He would do it in the heart of man, the very nature of man. You sit there going, was that not just for the Jewish people. Well, let's flip over to the New Testament and see Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time that His enemies should be made His footstool for His feet. For by a single offering He has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after this, after this saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. And I will put my law on their heart, and I will write them on their mind. The word is implanted through the Spirit of God that takes out your old heart of flesh and replaces it with a heart that beats for God. And unless that happens, you, the, the word of God is foolishness to you. This is the Old Testament promise fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ and given to the redeemed. How is the word received? It says, now back to James, you must receive it in meekness. That's the opposite of anger. (laughs) Because to be humble means you cannot be prideful. And remember what's at the root. This reminded me of David's response to Nathan. Do you remember 
David committed adultery with Bathsheba, then committed murder of Uriah, and then covered it all up. We, if you look at Psalms 51, we're not going to go there today, you'll see a miserable man living in sin, thinking he can just go on. Nathan the prophet comes, do you remember? Tells him a little story about a sheep, then says, you're the man. If you look at Psalms 51, you'll see David asking for mercy. David acknowledging his sin. David, David pleading for cleansing and for renewal. And none of that can happen if you don't have a spirit of meekness and humility. In other words, to receive God's word, you need to agree with God's word in its assessment on your life and then bring your life in alignment with his word. The implanted word, you see, moves his people to action. So radical spirituality puts on right living, but at the same time, it must and it will put off things that displease God. Now, I word I put this in this order because I want you to see this is important. Let me read it again, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The prerequisite for receiving is removing. This is critical. The prerequisite for receiving the word is to remove that which is morally filthy and is so prevalently evil in our life. In other words, what he's saying is sin affects us. Sin stops the flow of intimacy between us and God. And when that happens, our relationship with others are immediately affected. And so we need to put off some things. And the first is actions that soil you. And I don't mean what we, we went and planted some flowers and I got, I got dirt on my hands. I didn't wear no gloves, man. I, I like to get the dirt under my fingernails, you know. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a dirty diaper soling, right? You've all changed the diaper. You know what it is when the youngin soils your pants. As a matter of fact, boy, Micah, I know every time you change one diaper, there's another one to change, right? That's what we're talking about by this filthiness. That's the word picture. It's taking off clothes that's been soiled and putting on clean. Putting off things. Putting on good things requires you to put off soiled things. It does no good to not take a bath and just change clothes, even though our kids do that sometimes. This is spiritual discipline. That's what he's teaching us. That there are things that get in the way of us receiving the Word of God. This is spirituality. This is relationship. There, if you've got something at odds with your spouse or your children and you're trying to communicate with each other, you can tell when there's something there. Pornography soils me. Programs that promote a lifestyle contrary to Scripture soils me. Ungodly friends can soil me. Materialism soils me. Addictive behavior soils me. Listen, too much of almost anything can soil you. When a good thing 
becomes a life-dominating thing, it has just become a bad thing. When a good thing becomes a life-dominating thing, it has just become a bad thing. And here's what the Lord is saying. Don't let that get between me and you. Because you cannot let it get between me and you and think it won't get between me and everybody else that means anything in this world to you. Get rid of actions. And this probably should have been in reverse. We also got to get rid of attitudes. That's a little bit deeper, isn't it? Getting more to the, to the, to the root. What is, what is the attitude, this rampant wickedness? Wickedness is anything that is contrary to God's character and his word. And here's what God's word tells you to do with it. Amputate it. That's why I like this word radical. Amputate it. Don't just say, you know, come back to me next week and let's just talk about this thing. The Bible's Bible's saying this. Have you ever had cancer? Have you ever known anybody that had cancer? I can tell you, I remember when my dad had prostate cancer. You know what he was telling the doctors? Get it out. (laughs) I don't care what it's going to take. I don't want that thing inside of me one more day. Why? Because it's going to kill me. Sin is a killer. And it never affects just us. The last thing I said to the students at 180 is... Get yourself some godly friends around you because doing what the Lord requires of us is a family affair because it's two steps forward, three steps back. If you feel that way today, join the family. We're doing this thing together. Why? Why is this so important? Look at verse 21. It tells us. It says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Why? is able to save your souls. So the incentive for obedience is that God's word planted in you will save you. Now, again, this is another one of those, if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. James is using this different than Paul. When uh, Most of the time when, James, when Paul is talking about saving, he's talking about justification, that once for all. James is speaking here of sanctification. It's saving you. It is making you holy. Your salvation is not something that you just did in the past. It is that moment, and it is all of your life of of the Holy Spirit conforming you into image of Christ until you arrive safely home, glorified salvation. That this planted word brings an effect. The putting off and the putting on And the more we put off and the more we put on, the more we receive. All this putting on, all this putting off, enables us to see and receive God's word in order that we obey it. And that's the goal. Radical spirituality obeys the implanted word. Now he he gives us a word picture to make sure we get this thing. Look at verse 22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently into his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once and forgets what he was like. 
This is the danger of the deceived hearer. Now, Jewish people understood this, and he was writing mostly to a Jewish audience. There's two aspects to their life, the hearing of the law and the obedience of the law, to hear it and to obey it. They knew that, and James was fully aware that we all have a tendency to listen to six sermons and apply none of them. I hear this line, I listen to this guy, listen to this guy, listen to this guy. It's not about how much you listen to or how much you read. It's about slow down, understand it, and apply it. That's what matters. All of this putting on, all this spiritual warfare and this pursuing holiness is so that we may know God. What does He want me to do? This is both a, a commendation and a and a challenge. But all of this is coming. What James is doing, as I mentioned before, this is coming right out of the Sermon on the Mount. Hear it, do it. Don't be, a, don't be deluded. Don't be deceived. Matthew 7, that's what Jesus said, verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. You remember this? He's talking about two builders. Two builders. He says, therefore, I'm just sort of grabbing two parts of it. Whoever hears the word of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. So you have that. Then he says this, Jesus says this, everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So what Jesus is saying, everybody is building a house. Even those who are doing nothing, you're building on something. It is impossible to not build your life. You are building it. Even if you are sitting on the couch playing video games, you're building it. Said so the wise man builds it on me. My words. The hearer only is deceived. That's what he's saying. That means he's deluded. Why? We talked a little bit about this at 182. Because he thinks by going to church by going to Bible studies, by entering into debates on truth and even winning, that somehow he is spiritual. He said, you are deceived if you're not putting that into practice in your life. Obedience to the Word of God is the true test of authentic spirituality. It's not ascending to a higher knowledge. It's simply to obey what he says. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently into his natural, at his natural face in a mirror. And then when he, he looks at it, he goes away and forgets. And so I got two things. I, I meant to go to our shop and get a piece of metal, but 180 weekend. But this big pot, y'all got one of them at the house. Um, this is just a little mirror that we all use if we need to look at ourselves and I was too tired, and I did this Wednesday, too. I looked in the mirror this morning. I was like, I forgot to shave. I said, I said the same thing Wednesday. It's a pattern of my life, I guess. But I can see that clearly in this mirror. But here's the context of the first century. They didn't have mirrors like this. They had pieces of metal like this, and they polished them. And so to put on your makeup or your hair, or if somebody says, hey, hey, you got a little something-something, you need to go there and check it out, you would have to 
get your polished piece of metal. And the problem is this metal is not the same as the mirror. And so to look at it, you're going to have to look at yourself intently. You've got to look. That's one of the ways he's saying, slow down. Slow down and look. Look at my word. Meditate on it. Think about it. Don't just close it up and go about with your day. You've got to look at it intently. He's saying, this is what is happening when you read God's word and don't obey it. You're looking at that and you're seeing this thing on your face. You're turning around in five minutes. You forgot it. He said to think what he's going to say next week. That you are truly religious. is to be deceived if the word that you receive is not put into action. So again, it's like mud on your face. Going away and saying... I'm okay because I have my quiet time this morning. So they're going, you're not done until you obey. You're not done until you put on and put off. Many of us are just told all of our life by the church, here's your list, put off this, put off this, put off this, just stop it. You know, stop it. The Bible says you need to put on something. Remember what he says? It's dangerous to clean a room out of the house and to drive all the demons out and not fill that room up with something because you're going to find seven more demons more powerful than themselves setting up shop in your life. You've got to fill it up with the things of God because the devil is just waiting to fill it up. He's good at it. Been doing it since the garden. Don't be a deceived hearer. Be a blessed doer. That's what he's trying to encourage them. Be a blessed doer. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Listen, oh, this is good. He will be blessed in his doing. This is blessed liberty. What does that mean? He's not done with it, and neither will we be. He's going to talk about it again. This is the perfect law in its final perfect form what is that it's the law written in your heart he writes it in us the perfect form that produces what he desires that is obedience from the inner man the old testament law didn't do that it simply put God's standard up and proved to the whole world that you can't keep it we had a problem and so Christ came. You remember? Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Paul says this as he's talking in 1 Corinthians 9.21. He said, to those outside the law I become was one outside the law. He puts in parentheses, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. As Christians... The Spirit of God takes out our heart of stone and it puts a heart of flesh in there that beats for God and we follow Christ. That's freedom. It's what I told the students. Y'all are carrying around these pain of the sins of your past, sins done by you and sins done to you. And Jesus Christ came down and proved that He was enough to remove them so that you might live. This is freedom. That we don't have to live under the shame of our yesterdays, nor the fears of our tomorrow. 
but we can live for Him. So it's available. It's what James wants. And you can't do it if you don't obey the one who came and lived and died and rose again for you. Little sidebar. This may be helpful for some people. If it's not, just, just wax philosophical for a minute. We hear arguments all the time, especially in the sexuality debate, that says, well, if you Christians believe that homosexuality is wrong, like stated in, say, Leviticus, then why do y'all eat shrimp? Right? You ever heard that argument? Y'all shellfish eating people. Y'all are inconsistent. So let me help you. There's three divisions of the Old Testament law. Civil, ceremonial, and moral. New Covenant believers keep the moral law. The civil and the ceremonial law were for the Jewish people for a specific reason at a specific time. We bow and we pray for our civil government that God has put an authority over us. That's our civil law. And Jesus Christ came and lived and died for us. And he is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And we don't need anybody to come before the throne of glory. Save Christ alone. We don't keep the ceremonial law. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled it all when he came. Amen. So just wanted to help you there. We, we, we are bound to the moral law because the New, New Testament affirms it. That's what he's saying. I keep it. I, I keep it. How do I keep it? I follow Jesus. You know, said it to the students. If I am faithful to my God, will I not be faithful to my wife? The answer is, you bet I will. And won't even get close to the ditches. Blessed liberty leads to blessed perseverance. We must persevere. This is easy if you enjoy God. If you enjoy His Word. Perseverance in it is not a problem for that which we enjoy. <laughs> perseverance is a problem for things that we don't. Psalms 1. 1 says this. And notice to put off, put on here. This is a principle of the Bible. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. Do you see the persevering? He's persevering day and night. Not because he's got to bear down and God he has to, but because he delights in God. And listen, he is blessed in the delighting. He is blessed as he meditates. So the heart, with the planted word, implanted word through the Holy Spirit, will continue to love the external word of God and will to desire to obey it. And listen, this is important. He's blessed in the doing. My burden for the past, the burden I had for 180. Some of us are not being blessed because we're not doing. God gave us a great commission. And if it is great, do you not think there is a blessing in it for us? We have been inundated by the prosperity gospel that gets us to think that blessings is cars and homes and clothes and whatever. No. 
blessing comes in this obedience. To say when God says it's important, it's important. Psalms 1-3 says this. The blessed man. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. When we delight in God, we delight in his word. When we delight in his word, we delight in obeying in his word. When we delight in obeying his word, our lives begin to produce fruit. And listen, that fruit itself is a reward. Listen, we who were leaders in 180, we're tired today. But we wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Why? Because the 180 itself was a reward. You see that? you got to get this. We're not playing games here. God says, this is my great commission. Help people follow Jesus. And when you rearrange your whole life to do it, I am going to bless you in the doing. And if you don't believe me, it is you who are being robbed of a blessing. Because he's told us what to do. I have tried as your pastor not to make this complicated. And I know many people want more programs. We want this. I have heard too many times, why do we have to come through a building with pictures on the wall? You know why? Because that right there is the mission field. And we must quit thinking like church members and start thinking like missionaries. I go across the ocean with Brother Mike and, and Samson and this, and we preached the gospel and had women breastfeeding their children all over the congregation. And for some reason, we didn't have a problem with it. Why? Because we were on mission, that's why. Because the gospel is important, that's why. Because we must be willing to do anything so that the gospel might go forward, that's why. And so when that place went to go out of business, two men got together and say, we're going to buy it because that's part of the mission. And I have done more mission there than on the other side of the wall, brothers and sisters. That's why that place is here. And that's why it's important. Your life is lived out, not in the safety of a church building, but in the world, in the occupations, you have the abilities God has given each one of you for the cause of Christ. Devote yourself to it. Devote yourself to God first. When I go into the mountains, I always think of this verse, Psalms 42. We went hiking, we go and we look at these intricate flowers on the sides of the pathway. And we go to that always, hopefully, if we can find a waterfall. We love waterfalls. Why? Because I can hear this. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When is the last time that you said that from your soul? When I am, Paul, the psalmist says, when I am discouraged, when my heart is sad, I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again. My Savior and my God. Now I'm deeply discouraged. But I will remember you. Psalms 42 verses 5 and 6. And verse 80 says this. But each day the Lord pours His unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing His songs. Praying to God who gives me life. This is where we start brothers and sisters.
We start with desire and longing God before everything in our life. The three components, three components to joy in your life, to embrace a radical spirituality is your devotion to Christ, your commission, committedness to holiness, and your obedience to the cause of Christ, no matter what it costs you. You pursue those three things, and you will be a radical Christian. Let's pray. So, God, you have set each of us in a unique place. As I look around, I know many of the things that has, have been going on in people's lives and are going on, and none of us know what will go on. But you have set us each in a unique place. You have sovereignly designed the people that we rub shoulders with and the people that we are going to rub shoulders with. Have not you taken us places that we never thought we would have went? And some of them are wonderful and some of them are painful. And Lord, some of them just scary. So today, Lord. We just need to be renewed, God, by your Spirit, for your glory, to accomplish that which you want us to accomplish. Lord, I know following you is going to take reprioritizing lives and goals. and Lord, but you've done that in our life. Do it again, God. We don't want to miss the blessing by our busyness. And so, God, some of us just need that affirmation. That person we've been working with that doesn't seem to go nowhere, that is the work. And that itself is the blessing. So would you kiss your people on the cheek today? For many of them are tired of being grandparents and mamas and daddies and husbands and wives and God, would you kiss them on the cheek and saying, even in the hard, reflecting me in this broken world is a blessing to be able to reflect you. Oh God, as we prayed for the students this week, whatever needs to be removed so that we can be a clear reflection to the world. Lord, would you do it in us? Don't allow the evil one to pluck the seeds out of the ground, Lord. May it fall in good soil and take root and produce fruit in our lives and in this church and in this community and in our families. We are yours, Lord. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.